This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Latino USA is brought to you in part by... Just kidding. Hey, it's Stephanie LeBeau. You may know me as the voice of Latino USA's funders or the creator of Futuro's Sonic ID, but I'm also the director of engineering and a sound designer at Futuro Media and Futuro Studios. Our team of engineers are passionate about creating audio experiences that leave a lasting impression on you, the listener. We work alongside producers to get the best sound possible on every story, whether it's mixing, scoring scenes, creating soundscapes to help bring a story to life, fixing up archival and field recordings, or sending microphones around the world. We take pride in delivering important stories with the highest quality sound. It's an honor to be part of a company that's been shaping the audio landscape for 30 years. Happy anniversary to Latino USA, and thank you for tuning in. This is Latino USA, the radio journal of news and cultura. It's Latino USA. It's Latino Welcome USA. to Latino USA. I'm Maria Hinojosa. We bring you stories that are underreported, but that matter to you, overlooked by the rest of the media. And while the country is struggling to deal with these problems, we listen to the stories of Black and Latino students. A united Latino front. A cultural renaissance. Organizing at the forefront of the movement. I'm Maria Hinojosa. No se vayan. It's February, and I'm at a beach on the island of Kodiak in the southwestern part of Alaska. The island is only accessible by small plane or boat. It's the afternoon and 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Chilly, but tolerable because the sun is out, and I feel the warmth of the sunlight on me. The sand is black, and behind me are dark green spruce trees. There's some light snow sprinkled by the shore. Standing next to me is Pedro Cruz. He's a fisherman from El Salvador. Pedro brought me here, about an hour away from the city of Kodiak, where he lives, because he says this is one of his favorite places on the entire island. It's a playa grande para nosotros, verdad? Hay mucho árbol, espacioso que podemos este poner los tents para acampar. He enjoys spending time here with his wife and sons. They camp here during the summer when school is out, and they fish for salmon at a nearby river. Es un lugar natural que se siente, verdad? Respira uno aire natural. Se siente la naturaleza, verdad? Principalmente me crié, me crecí, verdad? En el campo, y eso es lo que me atrae. Siento la conexión, verdad? De de la naturaleza, verdad? Pedro loves being in nature to feel connected to it. He didn't grow up in a big city. But he and his family might have to leave Kodiak because the industry that has long sustained and rooted them here on the island is now uncertain. Late last year, the snow crab fishing season in the Bering Sea 
which is about several hundred miles from here, was canceled. And a snow crab cancellation has never happened before. Catching snow crab is a main source of income for Pedro and others in and outside of Kodiak. It's been reliable for decades. But recently, snow crab out in the Bering Sea disappeared due to warming waters, scientists say, a consequence of climate change. Para mí es bastante extraño estar principalmente febrero, primera vez, a lo mejor que he estado en 20, 22 años en esta época aquí en casa y principalmente en este lugar. Pedro says it's the first time in more than two decades of his fishing career that he's here on land in February. It's a weird, bittersweet feeling because he's able to spend time with his family, but it makes him uneasy. As we stand here, the waves crash onto shore and we stare out into the endless blue water. We both quietly ask ourselves, will the snow crab come back? And if they don't, how will the fishermen and the communities that rely on them survive? From Futuro Media and PRX, it's Latino USA. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Today, we visit Kodiak, Alaska. We see how a fishing community is trying to stay afloat as climate change disrupts their industry. On this episode, Latino USA producer Reynaldo Leaños Jr. has the story for you. Alaska has often been called a ground zero of the climate crisis. That's because the people living here are already experiencing profound changes in their way of life. Well, the impact of climate change is already very real for villagers on an island in northern Alaska. They're being forced out of their homes because of rising sea levels. Anchorage, Alaska hit a record 90 degrees on the holiday. Glaciers in the state melting at record rates. And climate scientists say this is bad news for all of us, not just Alaska. Alaska is the biggest seafood producer in the country, and fishing is a pillar for communities. In 2019, more than 60,000 people worked in Alaska's seafood industry, and more than 31,000 fishermen were employed through commercial fishing. Alaska's main export is seafood. The state's seafood was sold in more than 100 countries around the world in 2019, and it makes up more than half of the state's annual export value which averages a little over $3 billion annually. The state exports things like cod, salmon, crab, pollock, items that you can probably find at your local grocery store. And because of this thriving industry, over the years, Alaska has drawn in workers from around the world to take up fishing or work at fish processing plants, also known as canneries. Others have lived and worked in Alaska in these jobs for generations. But one group that has followed the work to the state are Latinos and Latinas. A decade ago, about 40,000 Latinos called Alaska home. Today, that number is close to 56,000, or about 8% of the state's population. And about 1,000 of them live in Kodiak. It's a tight-knit community. They and everyone else working in these industries are already starting to see disruptions to their livelihoods because of climate change. Research shows that Latinos and Latinas and communities of color in general 
tend to be disproportionately impacted by climate change. Fishermen in Alaska have witnessed the collapse of salmon and cod in recent years. Those are slowly recovering. But last year, the most recent fishery to crumble was a snow crab. In a major blow to America's seafood industry, Alaska's Department of Fish and Game has canceled the winter snow crab season in the Bering Sea due to falling numbers. It's estimated that about 10 billion snow crab vanished in the Bering Sea. The cause? Scientists say warming waters. In 2021, the snow crab from the Bering Sea was an industry with an estimated worth of $200 million. Scientists have kept an eye on the snow crab for years. In 2018, they saw many young crab, a sign the population was healthy. Then in 2021, those numbers began to drop. Yet, no one imagined a complete closure of the season just a year later. This has left fishermen like Pedro wondering, what might collapse next? And how will they get by in the meantime? I really wanted to know what exactly happened to the snow crab near Kodiak and what the fishermen and the communities that depend on the money that this crab brings in are doing to adapt. So, in February, I traveled from New York to Kodiak, Alaska to find out. When I first arrive in the city of Kodiak, it's already dark. It's 8 p.m. and I can barely see the outline of the mountains and their jagged peaks that surround the city. The city has a population of about 5,000 people. It's the island's main port with two harbors where hundreds of fishing boats tie up, both large and small. The temperature is in the low 30s, which is pretty cold for me since I'm from South Texas by the U.S.-Mexico border. The wind is strong. I feel the cold chill pulsate through my body and through my three layers of clothing. I'm on a wooden dock in front of the Arctic Lady, a boat that Pedro, who we heard from earlier, works on. It's about 140 feet long and weighs 200 tons. It's massive. So you good going down a ladder and jumping on a boat? The what? You good going down a ladder and jumping Yeah, I think so. We'll find out. <laughs> Just take it slow and be careful. Okay. That's Chad Lowenberg. He's the Arctic Lady's captain. He's Pedro's boss. Running the Arctic Lady is a family business. The boat has been around for more than 40 years. I'm here today because Chad wants me to see firsthand how the collapse of the snow crab season is directly impacting his life and the men he employs. Chad says when he first heard the news, it was like someone knocked the wind out of him. It was tough to break it to his crew, but he promised them that he would do his best to keep them busy with work. Through the wind and rain, illuminated by the boat's strong beams of light, I see the ladder that Chad is talking about. It's made of steel, and it looks a little rusted. Underneath, there's nothing but ocean. Nothing to catch you if you slip. And even more terrifying to me is that I don't know how to swim. But I just flew 3,500 miles to get here. So I'm telling myself that there's no way I'm not getting on that boat. I hold on tight to my backpack, which has all of my audio equipment, and get ready to go down. Yeah, you want me to take your bag? What? Oh, I don't know I do that. I slowly start to inch my way down, step by step. Chad shouts at me from above and says I'll see a rope when I reach the last step. The rope will help stabilize me so that I don't fall when I move from the ladder to the boat, one leg at a time. 
Chad can see that I'm struggling. Pedro, his crewmate, steps in to help me from the boat. Pedro, who's 48, has been working on the boat for 23 years. He tells me not to be afraid. He tells me to extend my leg towards the boat, but I'm short. My legs can't reach, and the gap between the boat and the ladder is too wide. No sé si puedo. Um, Pedro, do you have a board we can put across here? A board? Yeah. Hold on. Pedro brings a makeshift plank, and I slowly walk across it. I made it on board, and when I look around, there's so much going on. A few men are walking up and down the boat in what look like orange rubber wetsuits to protect themselves from the water. A machine, like a crane, is moving a massive steel bucket from the boat's deck onto the dock above us. There are hundreds of tanner crab, not snow crab, which tend to be a little smaller, inside of the bucket. These tanner crab are each about a foot wide and they have this brown and orange tint to them. I can see their legs moving slowly. This is what Chad wanted me to see. Pedro explains that they're doing something called tendering. Otro barco lo pescan y ellos vienen y nos entran a nosotros. Nosotros apenas hemos llegado ahora. Tenemos los cuatro tanques llenos. Pedro says tendering is when a boat transports a smaller boat's catch to shore. In this case, because the Arctic Lady is so big, it is able to fill up with tanner crab and get it to the processing plants on shore. Tonight, Pedro and the men are transferring 250,000 pounds of tanner crab from large tanks in the boat to a massive steel bucket, then that is moved onto the dock above us. It's a side gig for Chad's crew, who is used to being out at sea during this time of year. But they took on the job for some income to help make up for the canceled snow crab season. What is this tanque here? This is There's so much tanner crab on the boat that it'll take Pedro and the men several day and night shifts to finish unloading. Pedro arrived in Kodiak in the early 90s, and he wasn't the only one. Two of his uncles got here before him. They're the ones who told Pedro about work at the local fish processing plant here. And that seems to be common. Workers arrived by word of mouth, some arriving in the late 70s and early 80s. Back then, many of them were Mexican or Filipino. They followed the work to the island. I can see now how all of that migration transformed Kodiak. Like when Pedro takes me to King's Diner, right in town, with his friend Jose Alfredo Rodriguez, who's also from El Salvador and who used to work at a cannery. (laughs) It's a quick breakfast. I get some scrambled egg and black coffee. Pedro orders pancakes and reindeer sausage and eggs. The diner is buzzing. Every table is full and I can pick up some Spanish around me. The waitress comes by and she knows Pedro. She speaks Spanish with him. Hola. Just being here at the diner for a couple of minutes, I can instantly see how Latinos have made Kodiak their home. The next day, I stop by the Arctic Lady again to see how the crew is doing as they continue to transfer all the tanner crab to the local cannery. I spot Pedro on the deck standing by one of the four tanks that are holding the crab. Pedro is wearing a thick blue jacket and he has gloves on. In some ways, 
Pedro reminds me of my dad. They had the same shade of brown skin from working outside most of their lives. And he's also a little reserved. But once you start to get to know him more, he opens up. Pedro looks down into one of the tanks. There's a large ladder jutting out of it. At the bottom of the tank, two men quickly fill a bucket with crabs. Then the men climb out. I asked Pedro if they finished. Pedro says he and the men are now on break because the cannery needs time to finish processing the crab that's already there. After that, they can start receiving more. And as Pedro talks to me, I see a large hose next to him, spewing a steady stream of water down to the crab below in the tanks. During this waiting period, they need to keep the crabs hydrated. If not, they'll die. And if they die, that would mean less money for them. As Pedro says this, I can tell he's tired today. I hear it in his voice and I can see dark circles under his eyes. He hasn't slept much. He says he only got two hours of sleep. And even though they're not out catching snow crab at sea, this physical work is still tough. They usually start at around 7 a.m. and end their day at midnight. They have dinner, then they sleep five hours, and do it all over again. Today with Pedro on the deck, there are just a few men working. Two of them are Latino and the other is Filipino. The rest of his crew is made up of workers from the local fish processing plant. Pedro says he and the men expect to work another long night because they still have two more tanks to go. He hopes the current shift can finish one of these tanks by 6 p.m. so that the night shift can get started on the last one. He never imagined he'd have to tender or catch any other species of crab or fish during snow crab season. That was always a full-time, permanent job. It's something he thinks about a lot. But he's grateful for the work, because otherwise, he'd be sitting at home. Pedro has three kids, the youngest, 13, and the oldest, 26. He also has a wife who works part-time taking care of children, and his mother-in-law lives with them too. They need his income to make ends meet for his family. And on his mind is his family's future, because the work he's doing right now is temporary. Once this gig is over, he doesn't know what comes next. He's even toying with the idea of finding work outside of the industry, outside of Alaska. Coming up on Latino USA, we learn about the science of what happened to the snow crab 
and hear about the lives both Pedro and Chad have created for themselves and what it would mean if the snow crab were never to return. Stay with us. No te vayas. Support for Latino USA comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need. Odoo has apps for CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, manufacturing, and everything in between. And they're all in one easy-to-use software. And the best part about Odoo? All Odoo apps are integrated, helping you get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash latino. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash latino. Hola, I'm Dr. Julieta Villarreal Garcia, a lifelong educator and the proud recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Today, it's my great honor to wish Latino USA a very happy 30th anniversary. Muchísimas gracias for 30 years of informing, challenging, and inspiring us. Felicidades to all at Latino USA. Hey, we're back. Before the break, we met Pedro Cruz and Chad Lowenberg. They've been looking for side gigs, temporary work to help them get by after the cancellation of the snow crab season. Pedro and Chad have created lives in Kodiak, and this cancellation is having a direct economic hit on both of them. But before we get to that, we're going to learn about what scientists believe happened to the snow crab. All right, let's get back to the story. Here's Latino USA producer Reynaldo Leaños Jr. once again. Um, and right now as I'm walking on the sidewalk, there's, you know, remnants of just a little bit of snow here. It's early in the morning and I just left my hotel room. I'm making my way to a NOAA facility on the island. NOAA stands for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. It's a federal agency focused on understanding and predicting changes to the Earth's climate, weather, and oceans. It's pretty cold out today. I have my thick jacket on, a long sleeve shirt, an undershirt, and long underwear. I can still feel the cold and see my breath. I'm heading there because I have the same questions people like Pedro, Chad, and others in the community have. Like, when is the snow crab season expected to start again? This NOAA facility is about a 20-minute walk, but I wanted to see some more of Kodiak. As I'm making my way across the bridge, I see about a dozen huge bald eagles flying around. And I spot one, sitting on top of the lamppost above me as I walk by. The view around me is breathtaking. I look over to my right, and I see wind turbines. And as I look more directly to my left, that's where I see these big, beautiful mountains, you know, with so many different peaks there. And those mountains are covered with snow. And, uh, you know, it's just really peaceful. After a couple of minutes of walking, I get to the NOAA building and meet Mike Litzo. My name is Mike Litzo. I'm the lab director for the uh, Kodiak Lab for the Alaska Fisheries Science Center. Mike is not originally from Alaska. He grew up in Ohio, and he was born in Australia. 
classic story where my wife got a job out in Kodiak working for NOAA Fisheries, and I followed her. So I Mike is considered a crab expert. In, um, he's been studying snow crab for almost 20 years, and he's the director of the Kodiak Laboratory here. Okay, so we're entering another room now. He takes me downstairs to a saltwater research lab to show me some of the work they're doing. He shows me some crabs swimming in large tanks. They're actually a snow crab. And it's the first time I see one alive while here in Kodiak. So this is the actual wet lab. Um, So we're seeing sort of acres of of large seawater tanks going off into the distance where we we maintain our crab. So we're able to, to experimentally mimic the conditions either that exist now or that we expect will exist in the future and then look at the response of these different animals. Mike says the reason they're doing this is to see if the snow crab have the potential to adapt to warmer waters. Carbon dioxide released by burning fossil fuels like coal and oil cause seawaters to get warmer. Snow crab are not just found in the Bering Sea, but also in waters near Japan and Greenland. And scientists are also keeping an eye on those regions. It's estimated that each year, 37 billion metric tons of carbon dioxide is released into the Earth's atmosphere, and the U.S. and China are the biggest polluters in the entire world. Global temperatures this year hit historic highs, and the temperature of the world's oceans also hit record highs. In Florida, for example, waters in the Gulf of Mexico got as hot as a hot tub. There's no sound that comes off of a crab. You know, we can pick one out. I don't know what... Uh, is that worth doing? Do yeah, let's do that. And then you can... We'll get, like, splashing sounds. Or yeah. Mike says he was part of a team that went to Dutch Harbor, also in Alaska, in 2022 to conduct a survey of the snow crab population. That's southwest of Kodiak. And the work is a collaboration between his office and the state of Alaska. That's when they notice a significant drop in the snow crab population. What we do is we charter two commercial fishing boats and we put six scientists onto each of those boats and go out and do um, 450-odd tows all the way across the eastern Bering Sea um, on a grid patterns. A tow is when they cast a net and try to see what comes up in that net. So we've got these stations that we've been going back to every year since the mid-1970s. And um, we go out, we tow for half an hour, bring up the net, and then count and measure every fish, every crab that comes up. Mike says that back in 2018, the situation looked promising. They were seeing young snow crab that were almost big enough to be caught. But then things began to change. In 2019, scientists towed in about half the number of crabs, and they didn't do a survey in 2020 because of COVID. Then in 2021, and again in 2022, their nets picked up very little. Mike says without a doubt, everything points to the effect of warming waters caused by climate change. You know, snow crab are an Arctic animal. They only live in areas um, that are covered by ice in the winter. Um, They only are found in abundance in this very cold bottom temperatures. And that ice and those cold bottom temperatures were just absent in 2018 and 2019 in particular. The Arctic region is warming at four times faster than the global average. At first, scientists thought one possibility was that the snow crab had gone off to colder waters. But then they didn't find any of those snow crab in those colder regions. Mike says another possibility may have been that these warmer waters brought in predatory fish that ate the crab. 
He also believes it could have been that warm temperatures made diseases more prevalent. It might be that warm temperatures uh, raised the metabolic rates of the crab to the point where they couldn't feed themselves and starved. But whatever the specific reason, scientists now say that they believe that there was, in fact, a mass die-off of the snow crab in the Bering Sea. And the specificity behind that mass die-off is still a little unclear, but it's tied to warming waters. Now, scientists estimate that the snow crab season won't come back for another three to five years. That is, until the young snow crab mature in large amounts and are ready to be caught again. The timeline for the snow crab's return has put a strain on the lives of people who rely on them. People like Pedro. I met up with him at his home. Pedro's house is not too far from where the Arctic Lady is docked. It's a two-story, aqua-colored home with a dark brown wooden staircase leading up to the front door. The family has lived in this house for about 16 years now. Yesenia, Pedro's wife, is about half a foot shorter than he is. And such a warm person. Her smile makes me feel right at home. And she, like Pedro, is originally from El Salvador. Llegué aquí a Codia con ese sueño de hacer un poco más de dinero. Yesenia also fled during El Salvador's civil war in the 1980s. Pedro says he vividly remembers that time. A esa edad yo ya había mirado amigos que regresaban muertos de de los combates. Several of his friends went to fight, and many of them did not return alive. Mi papá no estaba de acuerdo que nosotros este sirviéramos a la militar por motivo de que no le daban suficiente entrenamiento a uno y rápido dos tres semanas de entrenamiento le daban su rifle y a la guerra entonces este yo también decidí salir. Pedro's dad said he did not want him to serve in the military because men were being sent out to fight without proper training. So Pedro decided to leave El Salvador and move to California to join two of his uncles there. Then those uncles moved to Kodiak after hearing about work in a fish processing plant. Pedro followed too. When Yesenia left El Salvador, she also spent some time in California. And then she heard about work in Kodiak, where she got a job at a cannery. She flayed fish. Yesenia arrived in Kodiak in 1992, but after a few years of working at the cannery, the plant closed down. She said it was good money while it lasted. In California, she would make about $200 a month. But in Kodiak, she would get a paycheck for $600 every two weeks, triple the amount. Yesenia says she liked putting in long hours, as many as 18 per day. When Pedro first got to Kodiak, 
he also worked at a fish processing plant. And, as fate would have it, Pedro and Yesenia eventually crossed paths. Vivíamos enfrente, pero yo no sabía. Y enfrente había un parque de jugar fútbol, soccer. Y este, ahí lo conocí, no sabía que era mi vecino. Y dije, no, pues me gusta el que anda ahí de pañoleta azul. Y me gusta y me gusta. Y pues así fue como lo conocí. Creo que yo lo conquisté. Y desde entonces no lo dejé ir. They didn't know they lived across the street from each other. Yesenia saw Pedro at a nearby park playing soccer one day. She says she liked what she saw. She won him over, she says. And then the rest is history. As I'm listening to their story as to how they arrived in Kodiak, I can't help but to think how Pedro and Yesenia were both essentially displaced by the civil war in El Salvador, and how now climate change might also force them and their sons to leave their home in Kodiak too. The family has made a life here and created memories. Pedro especially recalls when someone asked him if he wanted a job fishing on a boat. That boat would be the Arctic Lady, the one Chad now owns. He's worked on the Arctic Lady most of his life, since his early 20s. Conocí a un amigo que trabajaba en el barco que ahorita estoy. Entonces él me dijo, este, hay una chance de, ¿quieres ir a, a pescar conmigo? Dice, sí, nunca lo había hecho. Sin hablar mucho inglés, para mí me sentía muy preocupado porque el inglés eh, era necesario, ¿verdad? Nadie de los que andaban en el barco hablaba inglés. Y bueno, este, eh, me aventé, ¿verdad? Pedro was nervous about saying yes to the job because his English wasn't that good. But he took the risk. Tengo ya los 20, voy para 23 años ahí trabajando en ese barco y he aprendido bastante, he aprendido a hacer el trabajo. Now he's been fishing on the Arctic Lady for about 23 years. He says he loves it. But being out at sea isn't always easy because the weather can be unpredictable. The sunsets can be beautiful, though. Hay días que tú agarras tu teléfono y, y tomas fotos increíbles, unas tardes tan hermosas que hay. Cuando el sol se, se va eh, desapareciendo, se pone tan rojo y a veces la mar está bien tranquila, bien tranquila. Eh, apagamos los motores, parecemos que, como que estuviéramos durmiendo en casa. No hay ningún movimiento. Pedro says there are days when he's on the boat hundreds of miles from shore and the sea is unbelievably still and it feels like he's at home on land. But that stillness can change in an instant, though. And the cold is unlike anything he's ever felt before. Cuando hay días que frisa, hay que quebrar hielo, limpiar el barco. Se me ha ido el frío y una vez sentí, varias veces sentido que llegó el dolor hasta aquí el corazón. When the temperatures drop, ice forms over the entire boat. Pedro and the crew spend up to three hours breaking that ice. He says the cold hurts so much. He feels it in his heart. As we're talking, Pedro's sons listen closely. They've probably heard a lot of these stories growing up. They know how tough it is out at sea. So I was surprised when the middle son, Moises, who's 21, chimes in about wanting to fish too. 
Moises actually just came back from a fishing trip on a boat, but he and the crew didn't catch much. As an upcoming new generation fisherman, it's pretty hard, you know, trying to get into this industry. You know, it's pretty rough out here, uh, especially when you have no experience. I mean, your dad has sent me like videos before, you know, of him like being out at sea. And I've seen like the huge waves like crashing onto the boat. And even just spending the last few days with him, it looks like long hours, you know. So what made you want to go into... uh, you know, into fishing. My dad's a big role model. I mean, the man he is, that's how I want to be once I'm his age. I asked Pedro what he thinks about what his son has just said. Me siento muy agradecido, orgulloso de ellos. Y la verdad, yo no deseara que ellos hicieran el mismo trabajo que, que yo he hecho, ¿verdad? Pedro says he is grateful and proud, but he's insistent that he wishes his son would not go down the same path but Moises is adamant. My dad has talked to me about, you know, really thinking about this. And, uh, you know, I, I simply was just like born and raised, you know, being with my dad. Every time my dad was here, you know, I always wanted to go with my dad to the boat all the time. Just him and his boys at the crew. I feel like this has been an ongoing contentious issue for Pedro and his son. Yet, I also get a sense that Moises realizes how the industry will probably never be the same due to climate change. He even says he remembers being a little kid and seeing several feet of snow when he opened the door. But now, there isn't as much. Jobs are also uncertain, and that might keep young people like him away from fishing, he says. Yeah, I'm pretty worried about it. You know, I did read an article uh a while ago saying like the average fisherman is over 50 years old and at this direction it's going to be harder for younger guys gen z fishermen uh get in this industry and really just see a future and i mean if it con- continues like this i highly doubt there's going to be new generation fishermen how does that make you feel you have aspirations to want to possibly follow in your dad's footsteps yeah, I mean, it kind of, yeah, it does bum me out. I mean, man, uh, I do see people my age still going out, still going strong. Hopefully this is just a down moment and in a year or two, it, it can get back to normal and uh, it's going to be worth it. Moises' optimism is something I heard from many others in Kodiak. It's a hope that things will swing back in their direction because being out at sea is in their DNA, and it often spans generations. But many scientists predict that the reality is that climate change is only expected to get worse. Still, Chad Lowenberg, Pedro's boss and the Arctic Ladies' captain, holds on to this optimism. The future of this industry is part of his family's legacy. So this is our lounge. This is where we hang out. We watch TV, relax. This is kind of like the guys hang out. They lay down on the couch and whatever, watch TV. Chad shows me around the Arctic Lady, and I can tell the sense of pride that he has for the boat. Every inch of it has a story. It's been out to sea for 40 years, starting with his dad. Being on the boat brings up a lot of feelings and memories for Chad. 
catching snow crab on the Arctic Lady. It's a family business. So when my dad was 21 in 1979, he, um, he went out on a limb, got a loan, and he had this boat built at, at 21 years old and <clears throat> brought it up to Kodiak here to fish crab. And that was its main purpose, was, was to come up here and be a crab fishing boat. He was successful with it. He, he did a great job. Chad, who is now 45, was born in Kodiak. Today, Chad is wearing a black baseball cap and a black long sleeve shirt. When he talks, I sense the nostalgia that he has for his childhood. Growing up, most of his memories are of his dad and fishing. Uh, I can remember when I was a, a young kid, five, six, seven years old, my dad would come in with this boat and deliver in Kodiak and, and uh, my mom would bring us down to the boat and uh, my brother and I, we would, we would run around the boat raid the candy cupboard and and uh, while dad was delivering. Even though they were apart a lot, the moments Chad and his dad spent together on the boat inspired Chad to get into the fishing industry, just as Moises wants to do because of his dad, Pedro. When I grew up a little bit and I was uh, 10, 11, 12, uh, then we were allowed to go out and, uh, and go on the boats and dad would pull me out of school. And we enjoyed being around the, 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 his crew, the guys, you know, they'd play tricks on us and, and like oh, they'd tape us to the rail or they'd tie us to the crane and dip us in the water. Chad's father retired from fishing early at 34. He had other people manage the Arctic Lady until Chad and his brother could take over. Chad takes me up two flights of stairs on the boat. So we're in the wheelhouse. This is where I drive the boat. From the wheelhouse, you can see the deck of the ship right below. The crew is hard at work trying to finish offloading the Tanner Crab. It's now day three. It's an exhausting job, and Chad can't help but to think that it's still a huge pay cut for them all, from what they're normally used to making. He says about half of his annual income comes from catching snow crab. It's like making pennies versus making $100 bills. Besides this recent temporary tendering gig, Chad and his crew also finished another job. They tried fishing for cod, but they quickly ran into a problem at sea. This cod season was very, very short. And the reason was is because there's no crab. So what does everybody do? Everybody's doing cod now. Whereas before, uh, not everybody would do it because they would concentrate on catching their crab. Chad says even if they had caught some cod, there's a huge price difference between that and the snow crab they usually fish for. Uh, cod, we get 46 cents a pound uh, is what we were paid. So quite a bit less. Um, we're talking 350 a pound for crab and we're talking 46 cents for cod. So uh, if you could put that into perspective. Chad also makes it a point to say it's not always easy to fish for something different. He was able to and it was still quite expensive. But most might not have that luxury. If you're used to fishing for crab and then try to fish for cod or salmon, Chad says it usually requires buying special gear for that specific species. Things like specialized traps, and it also costs money. Also, each fishery has different regulations and seasons. You gotta take money out of your pocket and try to get your gear ready for another fishery when you didn't have the income from the other to do it. So, if you know what I mean, it's, uh, it's tough. And he stresses that there are ripple effects. I mean, it's huge. It goes all the way down to, it's just like the food chain. It's, uh, you know, crap. Boats aren't bringing crab in, uh, delivering. The city's not making the tax off of them. Several small towns in Alaska rely on this extra cash. 
and when that money isn't flowing into the city, budgets have to be slashed in order to accommodate the deficit. Take, for example, the small community of St. Paul, a town with a majority of indigenous residents. It's west of Kodiak, about 700 miles away. And it's not the first time St. Paul has experienced loss. In 2021, the red king crab season was canceled. That, with the most recent snow crab closure, resulted in a loss of $3.25 million in tax revenue. But Chad says it goes beyond city budgets. The crew don't have money in their pockets to go to the restaurants. They're, we're not spending money on, on maintenance at the hardware store. It's huge. It takes a t- dramatic toll on the, on the community. Um, people aren't, you know, pulling their boats out of the water and doing work unless they absolutely have to. So the shipyards are, are, are feeling it. It's huge. It's, it's all across the board. It's, it's everywhere. Coming up on Latino USA, we learn about the impact climate change is having beyond the snow crab. And later, Chad and Pedro weigh in on their futures in Kodiak. Stay with us. No te vayas. When we left off, we learned about the financial struggles some fishermen in Kodiak, Alaska are facing. That's due to the snow crab season being canceled. Earlier, we also met Mike Litzo, a scientist looking at how snow crab, the fishing industry, and those working in it can survive in a warming planet. All right, let's get back to our story. Here's producer Reynaldo Leaños Jr. once again with the rest of the story. So this is where, I mean, like you said, a lot of the experiments are going to be taking place and stuff, right? Yeah, and we've got an experiment running. Back at Mike Litzo's office, he says that the snow crab aren't the only species to recently have had their fishing seasons canceled. Mike also points out that the number of red king crab have declined in recent years. So snow crab is a sudden collapse. King crab, the population has been stable, but the problem there is that they're not producing young for some reason. Um, young crab are not appearing in the population to replace older crab. So without those young coming in, the population's gradually been declining over the last decade or so. But what are some of the hypotheses behind that? Is it related to climate as well, or is it more complex? So in terms of the causes of uh, the red king crab decline and why they're not producing young crab, we have a lot less data. So without data, it's hard to make any sort of firm hard conclusion about what's going on. One hypothesis that's definitely on our radar is acidification. That acidification is primarily coming from the carbon dioxide released in the burning of fossil fuels, like coal, natural gas, and oil. 
The oceans absorb that carbon dioxide, lowering the pH levels of the water. And as a result, it's harder for marine animals to adapt. Mike says juvenile red king crabs are especially sensitive to acidification. All of these observations, when put together, paint a troubling picture. You know, we've known that the Barents Sea's going to warm for decades. And I've been involved in the Alaska marine science community for that time. And we've gotten a really clear story from the oceanographers over that time that the northern Bering Sea would always keep its winter sea ice cover just because there's no sunlight in the winter up there and it gets so cold. But things suddenly shifted. 2018 and 2019, we lost it. You know, we saw the Bering Sea largely ice-free in March, you know, all the way up to Bering Strait. And so that was something that not only had we never seen before, but we the best science suggested that we would never expect to see so soon. This really struck a chord with me, and it made me wonder and ask Mike, is what's happening to the snow crab and red king crab in the Bering Sea a sign of what's to come in other regions? I mean, we are starting to see a lot of volatility in some fisheries in Alaska. Pacific cod in the Gulf of Alaska collapsed in 2016-2017. We saw a failure in the pink salmon run in the Gulf of Alaska in 2016. Salmon in the Yukon-Kuskokwim rivers uh, that support a lot of native communities in western Alaska have experienced this persistent failure that's been super, super disruptive and produced a lot of hardship for those communities. Despite all of this, Mike says the overall fishery system in Alaska remains healthy and robust. That means some of these fisheries have started recovering and others remain at normal population numbers. But this stability may not be permanent. The alarming trend is that these drops in numbers are happening more broadly and also more often. Looking forward, we know that even if we halted our all carbon emissions today, we've still got a lot of warming baked into the system. Because carbon dioxide's a long-lived, well-mixed gas, and we should expect to see the Bering Sea warming up you know, beyond what we've seen so far. Mike says the recent snow crab collapse should make us all think about climate change differently. These changes are coming, and exactly when is impossible to predict. They're going to you know, continue to be surprising in a sense. And so it really is time for us to start thinking about how communities, you know, communities involved if, with uh, natural resources in particular, are going to adapt to the changes as they come. And are you, are you hopeful? How do you feel? You know, I think the, the magnitude of the challenges that we face are something we have to, to really look at clearly. And, and there are some big challenges coming. I like to remain optimistic for my kids, you know, and I tell them that, uh, the world's going to need some solutions and it's going to be up to them and, and their generation and that there will be solutions. And so, so I guess that's how I land on that. I, I, I like to be optimistic on their behalf. I walked out of the NOAA facility feeling overwhelmed because the issue of climate change is so complex. I wanted to feel Mike's optimism, but I just couldn't in that moment. Chad and many other fishermen in Kodiak get guidance from the Alaska Bering Sea Crabbers, a nonprofit group. They have told their members the importance of diversifying their source of income. 
the group acknowledges that the climate crisis is here and that things are constantly in flux. Scientists are predicting climate change is only going to get worse. So that means there will be more disruptions in the near future and they need to be ready. In March, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, released a report. The IPCC is one of the leading scientific authorities on all things related to climate change. This report uh, tells us that our collective failure to cut greenhouse gas emissions leaves us on track to exceed 1.5 degrees Celsius of global warming, and that continuing to march down this track will bring further intensification of extreme weather, of ecosystem degradation, and of damage to lives and livelihoods. So we must turn down the heat. Experts met to discuss these findings. They said that humanity is on thin ice. One environmentalist, Inger Andersen, said she believes the world has the technology and the know-how to get the job done. The key is restoration and sustainability. Renewable energy instead of fossil fuels, energy efficiency, green transport, green urban infrastructure, halting deforestation, ecosystem restoration, sustainable food systems, including reduced food loss and waste. Investing in these areas and more besides will help to stabilize our climate. But it might not be easy to get governments or industry leaders on board to make these changes or to look at sustainability right away. The report also says that climate change has impacted humans, animals, and all of our environments across the world, with those who have generally least contributed to climate change being the most vulnerable and disproportionately affected. The men on the Arctic Lady are finishing up transferring the last of Tanner Crab. That means this temporary gig for Chad, Pedro, and the rest of his crew is about to end, and it's time to look for the next. I'm going to keep doing everything I can to keep the boat busy, the guys busy, and, and move forward. I'm going to keep looking for jobs to do, and uh, that's all I can do until it rebounds. Chad knows that he isn't the only one in this situation. And he knows that the snow crab fishing season probably won't be back up and running as it used to. Well, I thank God that I saved for a rainy day. And <laughs> uh, I was fortunate enough to be taught by my dad to, you know, save your money because you never know when the rainy day is going to come. And, and it's here. And, and we did save. And, and we're fortunate to be one of the boats that may be able to weather the storm. Uh, it's not going to be easy. We're not going to be living the high life. Um, definitely going to have some cuts coming here and uh, a new way of life. But uh, uh, I hope in three to five years we're, we're back at it. And the reality, though, is, right, that some boats that probably will not make it, right, through these next couple of years. I'm going to say two-thirds of the fleet will not make it. Um, you just can't do it. You can't have an operation like this and not do anything and park it at the dock. It's, it's not going to work. So um, there's going to be a lot of guys that, don't make it. You know, the community's going to be hurt. Um, people are going to have to find other things to do. Um, 
I don't I don't know you know what else to say other than it's it's gonna affect it. Um, it's gonna be tough times. Pedro's and Chad's lives are at a crossroads as they continue to live with the effects of climate change. They also each represent two perspectives of this crisis. Chad, as captain of the Arctic Lady, has found ways to keep his business running, while Pedro is someone who works on that boat, a fisherman. And it seems like right now, there are two visible paths. The first, stay in an industry that you've been in for generations and remain hopeful. Or the second, make a shift and try to get out of the industry before it's too late. Both are difficult options. Back on Pedro's favorite beach, an hour away from this city, Pedro says he and his family have talked about making the move away from Alaska, maybe to California. He's considering looking for a job in construction or as a truck driver. Six months after my visit to Kodiak, Pedro tells me he's still out fishing and doing temporary jobs. It's August and it's salmon fishing season. But as expected, he and the other fishermen are not making as much money. And not many things have changed. He's still worried about his family's future. Moving away from Kodiak is still in his plans. But for now, he's waiting to hear if the snow crab season will come back this year. There are inklings of hope that it might. But he and so many others are on edge. The announcement will come sometime in the fall. As for Moises, Pedro's son, he's actually also out fishing for salmon, right next to his father, on the same fishing boat. This episode was produced by Reynaldo Leaños Jr. and edited by Daisy Contreras. It was mixed by Julia Caruso and J.J. Carubin. Fact-checking for this episode by Elizabeth Lowenthal-Torres. Special thanks to Kirsten Dobrath, former news director of KMXT, the local public radio station in Kodiak, Alaska. The Latino USA team includes Andrea Lopez Cruzado, Marta Martinez, Mike Sargent, Victoria Estrada, and we had help from Glorimar Marquez and Raul Perez Hinojosa. Our director of engineering is Stephanie LeBeau. Additional engineering support by Gabriela Baez. Our marketing manager is Luis Luna. Our theme music was composed by Senor Rubinos. I'm your host and executive producer, Maria Hinojosa. Join us again next time. And in the meantime, look for us on social media. I'll see you there. And remember, no te vayas. Ciao. Latino USA is made possible in part by the Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide. The Heising Simons Foundation, unlocking knowledge, opportunity, and possibilities. More at hsfoundation.org. And funding for Latino USA's coverage of a culture of health is made possible in part by a grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation.